In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wrote most of this sermon, honestly, sitting on the couch on Tuesday night, watching the results come in for the presidential election. And that was before the presidential election was decided. And then I looked it over, I tweaked it a bit on Wednesday, before the presidential election was decided. And now I'm recording this service on Thursday afternoon before the election was decided. And I don't know if from the time and place at which you're watching or hearing this, if the election is decided yet or not, but I do know one thing, and I knew it for a fact back on Tuesday night when I first wrote, when I first wrote this. And I know that this will still be true no matter when or where you hear this. And that one thing is this. We're all afraid of something. You may be afraid of change, or you may be afraid that things won't change after this election. Or maybe you're not swept up at all in all that is our political soap opera, and you honestly don't care who wins. But I'm willing to guess that many of the folks who truly don't care about this election are partially in that state of mind because they're consumed by something or someone else, something else in your life that's making you anxious or afraid. Someone is sick, or you don't know where you're going to be living or where you're going to be working in a couple of years. Maybe you're afraid to be alone. You're afraid to get divorced, afraid that your past will catch up with you. Or maybe you're just afraid to die. We're all afraid of something. It's part of who we are. And so we go out in search of a message or a promise that will dissipate or quiet our fears. We choose to believe a promise that gives our lives meaning, some security, and some direction in the face of our fears. And these promises are often ones that we actually make ourselves, some sort of resolution or promise to change for the better, to take control of our lives for once and for all. Or we listen to a promise from a politician or some sort of guru who says, follow me and I promise that I will make things better or that I can save us from this or from that. We are people who are scared and that makes us people who are in need of a promise to hold on to. The only promise or the only problem, rather, with this, that we need a promise, is that we're also fundamentally deep down people who break promises. No politician, no friend, no parent or spouse, or man, woman, or child has ever fully lived up to the promises they make. Ever. We always end up back where we started, as people in need of another resolution, in need of another promise, in need of another Savior. In 1 Thessalonians, the reading that Ashley just read, St. Paul writes to an anxious group of people who are not only afraid of their own deaths, but they're also afraid that those who they know and love who've already died, that they'll be forgotten by God in some way. They're afraid that their world will soon fall apart and everything and everyone that they care about will fall apart with it. But Paul reminds them of the power of the promise spoken to us from God. And he says this, For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. God's promise is a promise of resurrection from death. And he's promised us absolution from sin. He's promised us that we are his and that we need not be afraid. In his great book, great novel, The Moviegoer, Walker Percy's protagonist is a young man named Binks Bowling, who comes to mind when I think about this need for us looking for a promise. And throughout this story, Binks finds himself in what he calls the search. And it's a search for meaning and truth in the world and in his life. And the very first time this idea that there may be something more to life, more than money or sex or politics or power or just all the things that we accumulate, the first time it occurred to Binks was while he was serving in the Korean War. He was waking up in a ditch bleeding beneath a chindalia bush with a dung beetle no more than six inches from his nose. And Binks promises himself in that moment that he's going to pursue the search for true meaning in his life and in all of our lives. Yet when he returns home safe and sound from the war, he forgets all about his promise. And instead, Bink settles into the suburbs, back into the suburbs, back into the old rhythms of his life, of his everyday life. Bink's just like the rest of us. He can't even keep the promise to himself that he's going to pursue the search for a promise to stake his life on. What he needs isn't another promise to pursue, it turns out, but instead to hear and to believe in the promise that he is already been given. Like the rest of us, Binks is someone who does break promises. What he needs is a promise that won't be broken. He needs a little certainty in his life that can't be shattered. And in 1 Thessalonians, we aren't given another promise. Instead, what we're reminded of is the promise of God, the promise of absolution and resurrection. The promise that we're not alone, that our lives have ultimate value and meaning and purpose, and that we have a future, no matter what, in Christ. This powerful imagery in our reading from 1 Thessalonians of God descending from the clouds with the sounds of trumpets reminds me of something that the theologian Karl Barth once said while describing the one-way power of God's promise descending upon us all. He said this, God says to us, or God promises to us, since I'm the living God who is near and who is one almighty, holy, and merciful, I will be your God. I will care for you. I will carry you in my eternal thoughts. For you, I will be your God. For you, as you are, ridden with anxiety, worries and frustrations for your sins and for your death, but also for your resurrection from the dead, for your life in time and eternity. I will stand by you. I will take sides with you. I will declare my unconditional solidarity with you against all odds, against the whole world and all of mankind, if need be, 
in particular against your own self. I promise to be your God and your salvation. I think that one of the things that we're all really afraid of is uncertainty. Not just the uncertainty of this election or the future of our country, but much more profoundly what we're afraid of is the uncertainty of who we deep down are. Are we important, we wonder? Are we lovable? Does anyone out there care about us? Do I have a future? Do I have something or do I have someone to hold on to? Do I even know who I am right now? And a painful truth in the face of all these questions is that we are also just mysteries to ourselves. We try to tell ourselves the story of who we are as individuals or the story of who we are as a nation, we elude ourselves. We tell our stories, the stories we want to hear. This is why Freud, Sigmund Freud, kind of depressingly but profoundly rejected the entire genre of the autobiography. Saying, how in the world can we claim to tell other people a truth about ourselves when deep down we lie to ourselves to make ourselves feel and think better about ourselves? Perhaps at the end of the day, the best person to tell our story or to tell us who we are is the person or the God who created us. We're in people in need of a promise. We're people who break promises. But God is a God, the God who created us, redeemed us and sustains us. That God is a God who doesn't break promises. He knows us and he knows our story and he knows how that story is going to end. Towards the end of the book, the moviegoer, Binks Bowling, who's now firmly on some search for a promise to hold on to, he peers out of his window across the street towards a church. And he sees a man walking out with ashes and the sign of a cross on his forehead. And he sees him walk across the parking lot and get into his car and begin to pray over the steering wheel of his old Mercury. Banks questions if this is someone who's just participating in the act of going to church because he's been told that that's something that he should do, which is an idea that Binks just totally rejects. Or if he's there at that street corner, hoping and believing that God himself is present there. And then Binks wonders this, or is this man here somehow for both reasons? through some dim, dazzling trick of grace, coming for the one and receiving the other as God's own importunate bonus. Might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think that this is a really beautiful and honest depiction of someone wrestling with the mystery of who we are and who God is. And someone who, with the grace of God, Uh, is thinking about the grace of God, is thinking about someone going to church, perhaps for all the wrong reasons, but who still, despite themselves, receives the promise that while we are dust and to dust we shall return, God will resurrect us. In the end, what I think Binks is beginning to see is the power of God's promise to us, the promise of forgiveness and grace and eternal life. The promise, this promise, has a power that's active and present 
right here and right now. Whether you're in church for the right or the wrong reasons, whether you figured out who you truly are or not, whether you voted for the right or the wrong person, if that person ever could truly exist, regardless of everything, God's powerful promise that you are his and he is yours is a truth that transcends all time and space, transcends all mystery, all fear and anxiety. No matter where you are on your journey, no matter where our country is on its, God's promise is a real one and it's a powerful one for you today. It's almost Christmas, so I want us to think about this promise with these words for just a minute. The promise of these words, to you this day is born a Savior. What does this mean? It means that we're people who are in need of a Savior. We're people who are being promised that we have a Savior. We have a true Savior. And it's not a man with yet another plan, but it's a baby boy who became a man and became the sacrifice for your sin and for your very life. This is who you are. This is your promise. This promise is for you, that you are God's and that God's grace is yours. Amen.